We have been studying relationships this semester, and uh, the title has been Gospel-Driven Relationships, or as we like to call it, Relating, Dating, and Mating. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about parents. It's good. We got some parents here. <laughs> you didn't know you were coming this week. That's right. We got some visitors here, so be nice to them. Um, but you, I'm a parent, too, So, and Wendy's a parent, so we've got a couple of parents um, here. And I will tell you... Um, you know, th- this is one of those weeks where I feel like some of the hardest conversations I have with students are related to parental issues and to their parents. It's, it's a difficult topic, and it's not one that the Bible shies away from because um, it's, it, it's very significant. Sometimes the most significant relationships are the ones that have the most potential to hurt you, right? And so in some ways... You might be tempted to just sort of say, well, that's a relationship maybe I could live without. But one of the things that God teaches us through our parents is you rarely get that option. Um, God births us into certain families. Sometimes you don't stay in those families for long. We adopted our little girl, Amelia. She was abandoned at one day, right? Never knew her family, her original family of origin, right? So, you know, I know even from talking to people in this room, there are people whose families have been very difficult and whose parents, that's been a very difficult issue. But I also know that most every college student doesn't appreciate their parents enough either and rarely understands that parenting probably holds more potential for shame for your parents than almost anything else in their life. Some of it deserved but not all of it. Nobody really feels like they know what they're doing. I'll just tell you that. And, uh, you know, that's not necessarily comforting because all of us feel like, well, somebody needs to know what they're doing so that my life will be more comfortable and more safe and more secure. And in some cases, you have that. In some cases, you don't. But in all of those cases, God is still God. And the gospel is still true. And where there has been even deep hurt, there can be deep healing. And so my prayer is that as we talk about this topic, that, um, that God would really soften our hearts. There's probably people in here who, even knowing that we're talking about that tonight, are filled with dread, who don't even want to think about it. There are others who feel like, well, my parents are great, and maybe what you need to know tonight is your parents aren't God. (laughs) And, you know, there's just that whole range. So let's pray. And then we're going to look at at some various passages and then dig into this. Really, what does the Bible teach about parents and the relationships with our parents? In particular, what does it mean to honor our parents? We're going to talk about that in some detail and then a few practical uh, suggestions out of that. You ready? Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We do thank you for your word. Um, We even want to be able to say, Lord, we thank you um, for our parents. Uh, But for many of us, that's a hard hard thing to say. And I guess, Lord, what we would ask is that you would come and minister to all of us in this room, wherever we're at with this issue with our parents. And regardless of what our earthly parents are like or have been like, Lord, I pray that you would draw us close to your father heart and that it would... um, that that would be deeply comforting 
to us even tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's look at a few passages. If you see the, um, I handed out one, on one side, it has a big long quote from this guy, Dan Allender, which we're going to look at in a little bit. Uh, on the other side, it has several different passages. And since I was going to jump around uh, some places from different scriptures, I thought it'd be easier to put them all out on one page. So let's, um, yeah, let's look at this. I think actually because we all have it in the same translation, it would be fun to read it together. Let's read it together out loud. I won't do you, make you do what they did in Calvin's day. In Calvin's day, he sat down and everybody stood when they read the scripture. I won't make you do that, but I did think that was kind of cool. Um, Deuteronomy, let's, let's read this. Deuteronomy 5, 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And then I'll read this, these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Whoever acknowledges me before men, Jesus says, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now let's read this one together, Mark 10. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, childrens, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then the Apostle Paul writes this to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That actually is the beginning of a whole section. At the end of that section, he has these specific directions to children and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And finally, this from Ephesians, a little earlier in that same letter, chapter 3. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father, 
from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And there, there's a wordplay in the Greek there that's hard to render into the English, but it's the, the word pater, father, and paternos, which is sort of fatherhood, the legacy of a father, his family, right? So that's why he's saying that the whole family on earth derives its name, right? I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible about parents. Some of it even seems kind of crazy. You know, what's all this stuff about you know, Jesus saying that you should hate your mother and father. And then he turns around in another place and says that you're going to have multiple fathers, mothers, you know, brothers, sisters in this life. What is all this talking about? Well, I hope we can kind of make some sense of it. I do think even in those first couple passages, one of the things that comes through is that relationship with God comes in and it basically says that everything that you would use to define yourself. And in the ancient world, there were some very clear ways you would try to define yourself. What made you matter often was what family you were part of or what nation you were a citizen of, where you were from, what language you spoke, what race you were. All of these things, the Bible says, when you come into a relationship with God through Christ, none of them... None of them determine who you are anymore. It doesn't mean that they cease to be relevant at all, but they no longer are the primary way that you understand who you are. In other words, the first thing that that God would say about this idea of your parents is that who your parents are is not the ultimate thing about you. For some of you, that will be challenging because some of you may feel like, well, I love my parents. My parents are awesome and gives me such great security. And in that case, you may have a particular thing, way that you need to repent um, because your parents maybe have usurped the role of God in your life. Um, in others, you would say, well, that's good news because I don't really want to have anything to do with my parents. Uh, Wherever you're at, here's the first thing to know is the Bible says your parents are significant, but your parents are not God. There's a difference between honoring and worshiping, and we'll get into that a little bit. Now, if we look at this first passage, it talks about, uh, it's from the Ten Commandments, right? And it's helpful to understand the context of the Ten Commandments because, gosh, it just drives me crazy when I when I drive around, sometimes there was, a, there was a, a, a neighbor of mine, kind of about half a mile away, but I would always pass by this particular yard, dropping my kids off to school, and I'd always see the Ten Commandments posted in their yard, and it would always drive me crazy, because it's the Ten Commandments without the preface. And without the preface, it completely changes the point. The Ten Commandments are not ten ways for God to basically rob you of all your joy and basically get to tell you how to live. The Ten Commandments starts with redemption. I am the God who brought you out of slavery. Now, here's ten ways to re-enslave you. No. I am the Lord who brought you out of slavery. Here's ten ways for you to understand how to live in this freedom. 
And part of that way that you're going to live and enjoy life, even in the land that I'm giving you, is connected to your parents and honoring your parents. Why is that? Well, because God has made us in such a way that, you know, again, you can qualify all this, but ideally, it is through your parents that you learn to reverence authority and find even a certain sense of significance and security when the authority is properly, lovingly administered. And in this way, the way parents should parent you should teach you something about God himself. As a matter of fact, the long history, Jewish and Christian interpretation uh, of the Bible that understands that when God talks about honoring your father and mother in the Ten Commandments, that that really is, is, the, is what we call the principle of synecdoche, the part standing for the whole. In other words, it's talking about the most significant relationship of authority in your life, but the whole principle there covers all rightful authority that God has set up. This is not some novel interpretation. This is how the church has understood it for thousands of years. It's the way all of the reformers understood it. Um, This is not some newfangled idea. The idea that when Paul, for instance, in Romans 13, says that we are to submit to the state, to God's authority in the state, that he's put these powers and principalities in place, and you're to honor them, like he didn't just come up with that out of the blue. He's understanding that that's embedded even in the commandment to honor your father and mother. That when it says honor your father and mother, what it's really saying is honor all rightful authority that God has instituted and has set up. Okay? So, in other words, through your parents, you even begin to learn what it's like to be a human being living in community. Now, as soon as I say that, you're all thinking, well, you know, it would have been great if I'd learned that. I learned something very different than that. I learned about the abuse of authority, and I know that that's true for some of you, because I know some of your stories, and for some of you who I don't know your stories, I suspect that's probably true of some of you as well, but ideally, the way God has set it up, honoring your mother and father should be about teaching you even what it means to be made, not as an individualist who just gets to do whatever they want, but as somebody who finds their meaning and their being in community. But here's what the um, commandment also teaches us. It teaches us that God is the ultimate authority. Because after all, God is the one giving these commandments. And God says, I have the right to tell parents and children, rulers and servants, how they are to live. In other words, God is the ultimate authority. And this is very important to understand whether we're talking about how Christians are to relate to the state or we're talking about how they relate to their parents. We submit to God in submitting to the lesser authorities he has set up. But what this means, this is so important to understand, is that all authorities answer to God. That means all people under authority can have um, the ability to appeal to a higher authority. Tyrannical rule is forbidden. Now, this would have been a pretty radical thing because, you know, in the ancient world, kings did what they wanted. But God comes in and says, my people will not be like that. My intention for human beings living together in community 
is that even kings, even earthly authorities, even parents have to submit to me. And that when I ask children, for instance, to honor their parents, I ask them to honor them in the Lord. That means the Lord is the one who you're ultimately submitting to. I know in some Christian circles, I don't know if you grew up in, in, a, in a, some people have grown up in families where Bill Gothard and some of his crazy ideas are still perpetrated. Hopefully none of you. But he, he's a Christian teacher, kind of a fundamentalist Christian teacher um, who has this idea that God, you know, speaks to the, to the husband, to the father, and then through that, the father then speaks to the wife and then to the children. It's sort of this direct line of authority. That's not the biblical model. I, I, I know people who would argue, for instance, that God didn't give the Ten Commandments to women, but to men, and then the men are supposed to teach the women. That stuff is craziness. And the reason we know is when you get to Ephesians, again, Paul says that we are to submit one to another. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, before he begins to give individual directions to, to husbands and to wives, to fathers and to children, to masters and to servants. I always tell people when I'm doing a wedding, if they want to read Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husbands. I won't read it in your wedding unless you include the verse before, which sets the context for the whole thing. It's important that you understand that. The Bible doesn't just say, why submit to your husbands? It says, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes about, how do you do that? And there's particular ways that husbands and wives, fathers and children do that sort of thing. Okay? It's really important to understand this. Because if it comes down to obeying your parents or obeying God, you must obey God. Now, often it doesn't come down to that quite that way, quite that drastic, though there are, there are times. I, I, I went to school with a girl who got converted through a high school ministry that I was part of, whose parents decided that she could not be an evangelical Christian and sent her off to a cult deprogramming place. And she came back a shell of a person. And it was tragic. And I don't know where she's at with the Lord. I would say, you know, gosh, it, 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 it's inappropriate and her parents are going to have to answer for God to God for telling her that she couldn't believe in Jesus. That's a serious thing, right? This is why in Ephesians chapter 5, or sorry, Acts chapter 5, the Jewish authorities tell a couple of the apostles that you have to quit talking about Jesus. And their answer to them is, we must obey God rather than men. And they keep talking about Jesus. There are times when that may happen. There may be times when your parents tell you to do something that God says you can't do. Generally, it's not that way. Generally, there are things that God would say you're free to do, and your parents say you're not free. In that case, you don't have the freedom to say, well, God says I'm free to do it, because your parents are the authorities set up by God, right? Right? Now, they may be using their authority in a way that is going to destroy that respect and love bond. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But unless your parents tell you to do something that God says you can't do, you are to obey them. Now, let, let, me, let me talk about this um, a little bit more. I think it's helpful to know that ultimately what parents are called to do and called to be about is to reflect the character of God. 
into their children. There is a place at the very beginning of John's gospel where it says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. And those that want to know who Jesus is and what he's like need to understand that he's full of grace and truth. Generally, by our temperaments, we like to represent that God is full of grace or that God is full of truth. And it's very difficult to represent both in a balanced way. But that's what parents are called to do. Incidentally, it's what you're called to do with every relationship you're in. It's not just a unique responsibility from parents, which is actually good news because even the way you relate to your friends now hopefully is teaching you how you're going to relate to your children one day if the Lord would give you them. That you are to be about, you say, what's my, what's my purpose? I, you are to give people in your world a taste of the strength and the mercy of God. That's what we're to be about. Um, Dan Allender, who has this wonderful book, um, if you could get your parents to read it, it would be great, but it's really hard for parents to listen to their children, especially when it's about something they should learn, right? Um, and if, you know, well, you know, maybe they'll listen to the podcast and they'll hear me say it. This is a really, really helpful book by Dan Allender. It's called How Children Raise Their Parents. How Children Raise Their Parents. And he talks, and look at on the other side of the scripture passage. He talks about how there are two questions that every child is asking. Whether your parents realize it or not, whether you realize it or not, every one of us is asking these two questions. And it's up to your parents to begin to answer these questions correctly for you. But often they don't. Here are the two questions. Am I loved? Am I loved unconditionally, deeply from the heart? And can I get what I want? And what are the right answers to those questions? Well, the right answer should be, yes, you are deeply loved. No, you can't get what you want. And if your parents don't answer that way for you consistently, they're lying to you about the world. And they're setting you up for disaster. How, how, how do the other answers work? And I won't read all this, but the, the, there's the, the first he calls the dangerous and demeaning response. Parents who regularly answer with, you can get your own way and know you're not loved, raise children who learn that their parents don't care what they do and that their parents do not enjoy them. Theirs is a soulless and inhumane home, and children in this home lack a conscience and have no concern for others. They must learn to find both love and rules elsewhere. The search will usually lead to a gang or other group that serves as a surrogate family. So if you answer the question, no, you're not loved, and yes, you can do whatever the hell you want, boy, it messes you up in huge ways, right? How about the next one? The indulgent and distant response. Many parents answer, yes, you can get your own way, and yes, you're loved. Their children lack strength. And they grow up knowing only a counterfeit tenderness. These parents are often well-to-do, highly educated people who care more about public image and appearances than the hearts of their children. The children often are poised and competent, but they lack the strength of conviction and character that develops through bumping up against consistent boundaries. The children in this family are likely to accuse their parents of being manipulative since the parents are unwilling to embrace suffering, even the suffering of saying no to their children. And the children's accusations often surface through acting out, getting in trouble, or pushing the limits to see if anyone will be strong enough to truly care. 
Then there's the rule-bound and dull response. Parents who answer, no, you can't get your own way, and no, you're not our delight and joy, often establish a conservative home characterized by stringent rules, clear consequences, and high demands on the children. At the same time, this home often lacks lacks warmth, humility, laughter, and tears. The children perform well, obey the rules, succeed through hard work and perseverance. What they lack is passion, whimsy, playfulness, and vision. Then there's the response of strength and delight. The fourth option is the only correct answer to every child's two core questions. You are loved beyond belief and know you can't get your own way. These two answers provide children with strength that watches out for their welfare and with the delight of being loved without conditions. Sadly, this combination is the least common among the answers today's children are receiving. Too many parents shun the discomfort and inconvenience that comes with answering no to the question, can I get my own way? Meanwhile, the unwillingness to embrace joy keeps many parents from answering the other question, am I loved, with a resounding yes. And then this last thing. As our children ask the core questions, they are wondering about two additional matters. What's wrong with my family and how can I fix things? And, and that, you know, what's so interesting about college ministry is often people don't realize much about their family of origin until they get out of it. And then they're like, whoa, you mean that's not normal? And then sometimes it's really easy at that point to just demonize and villainize your family. And it's difficult to sort of say, yes, there were good things, good gifts that God has given to me, and yet at the same time, there's no perfect family, right? And for some people, you know, I know for myself, like all I ever heard growing up was how great my parents were from everybody else in my life. And it was actually hard for me to say, you know what? My parents weren't perfect. Like there was a certain amount of kind of shame and baggage from feeling like I could never measure up to what they were like because they were great. But I didn't, I don't know if I knew so much that they were sinners, right? Who needed the the grace of the gospel because they were so good and loving and kind. I see that much more clearly now, (laughs) you know, I don't know, but I I don't think growing up, that was a big deal for me. I remember in counseling a guy saying, you've got to admit that your parents sinned against you if you want to start moving forward. Other people, like that's no problem, (laughs) but for some people, it's not until they get away from that situation that they're like, whoa, you mean that's not normal, But let me tell you this. The good news is that even if your earthly parents have not answered these questions well, and honestly, nobody has parents who've answered them perfectly, your heavenly father is committed to answering them well. But I have to warn you, you may not like it. If, if you've not grown up in a family where those, can, those answers have been answered well, those questions have been answered well, then God has a lot of work to do. And you may not like it. You may feel like when he says, no, you can't get your way, that what he's saying is, no, you're not loved. Particularly if you have made this connection that the only way I know love is if I get to do what I want. Now, I will tell you, the most insecure students I ever know are the ones whose parents have not set limits for them. Because they just are so unsure. Do people really care? Like, look at all this crazy stuff I do. And nobody seems to care, right? So bumping up against limits is good. And God is committed 
to helping you understand what the real world is like, even if your parents have not done a very good job with that. God is still committed to that. He's committed to healing you. He's committed to teaching you about life in his world. He's teach, he wants to teach you that you are a joy and a delight to him. It says in, in um, Zephaniah that he rejoices over you with singing. And I don't know if you can think about your father breaking out of song over you. Has anybody had that since they were a little kid? Yet if you know Jesus, the Father rejoices over you tonight with singing. He does. We sing a little song to our kids every night before we put them to bed. And it's precious. And that's what the Father does. And even if your experience of father and mother has not been very good, maybe has even been wretched, it's not beyond God's ability to heal. One of my favorite stories in this regard is the story of Henry Light. We sang his hymn, Abide With Me. Um, we sing a lot of his hymns in RUF. One of them is, Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee. Another one, praise my soul, the king of heaven, right? We sing some of these hymns. But here's the interesting thing about Henry Light. He grew up in the 1800s. When he was young, his parents split up. His mom actually left. Nobody really knows what happened to her. She moved to London and disappears. We don't know if she died. We don't know if she just abandoned the family. But what happened next was that his father remarried and sent Henry off to boarding school. And from then on, he was middle school age at this point, from then on, his own father would write letters to his son, and he would sign them, not your father, but your uncle. Do you understand what I'm saying? From the time that Henry was like 10, 11 years old, his own father would not let Henry call him father anymore. But what is always amazing to me is that the father image is in almost every one of his hymns a warm, tender image that so surpasses his experience with his earthly father. Where did he learn that a father was like that? It wasn't from his dad. It was from his heavenly father. And I'm not going to say it was easy or it was overnight, but something enabled him to write a verse like this. Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, he, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. You know this verse, right? From praise my soul, the king of heaven. Or this one from Jesus, I my cross have taken. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? And repine means basically to sit there and mourn and to be completely depressed. Think what kind of father you have. For some of you, it's not such a great leap from your earthly father to imagining what your heavenly father is like. For others, it's a huge distance, but it doesn't matter. God is committed to transcending that difference and teaching you what he's like and what the love of a real father is really like. Well, what does it mean to honor our parents? Notice in Deuteronomy, it says to honor your father and mother. There's actually a place in Leviticus where it puts mothers first. Now, that's 
countercultural, to say the least. Any of you been around more traditional cultures? Mothers and fathers are generally not put on equal footing like that. But God says your mother and your father, you're to honor both of them. Husbands, wives, parents, children, all are to submit to one another in the Lord. Now, what does it mean to honor our parents? I think one of the guys that really helped me understand this, Scotty Smith, used to be my pastor. He says it this way. Honor in the Bible connects to that idea of glory. And the word really in its root has this idea of weightiness. So to honor your father and mother means to treat them as weighty. And for some of you, you understand that the presence of your parents has been a weighty one for good or for bad. But, but what does that mean? There's, there's a lot of stuff that that means. The way Scotty puts it is, you must accept the important place that God has given to your parents. You may disagree with it. You may wish that it were otherwise. But the fact is, your parents have a weighty place in your life. And a few things about that. It means to accept God's sovereignty over the parents he's given you. Which again, I don't want to make light of that. It's no easy thing for some in this room. We are to treat them with respect. We are to listen to their instruction. And we are to bear patiently with their weaknesses. They are finite and sinful just like we are. But honoring our parents does not mean worshiping them. And I think that's what's going on here in this Matthew 10. Jesus is not saying... When you become a Christian, you have to hate your parents. But he is saying that compared to the way you love me, your parents cannot have that place in your life that is reserved for God alone. To honor your parents does not mean to worship them. To honor them in the Lord certainly doesn't mean to worship them and to give them absolute obedience in everything at every time. Because to do so at times would be to dishonor God himself. We worship a parent when we give them the love and submission that belongs to God alone. And I found this fascinating quote by John Calvin. Now, a lot of people don't know much about John Calvin. What they do know, they think of him as a stodgy, old, um, authoritarian, dictatorial kind of guy. Nothing could be further than the truth, really, but I don't have time to sort of resuscitate the, the, the image of Calvin for you tonight, other than to share this, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Here's what Calvin says. For parents sit in that place to which they have been brought by the Lord, who shares with them a part of his honor. Therefore, the submission paid to them, the parents, ought to be a step towards honoring that highest father. Hence... If they spur us to transgress the law, we have a perfect right to regard them not as parents, but as strangers who are trying to lead us away from obedience to the true Father. It is unworthy and absurd for their eminence so to prevail as to pull down the loftiness of God. On the contrary, their eminence, their respect, depends upon God's loftiness and ought to lead us to it. What, what does this mean? Well, it's similar to the marriage relationship. When, when you marry somebody, you take vows to honor and to cherish, to protect, to nurture. And there are ways that you can live that will break that vow. There are. 
Some of you have known parents that divorced, for, maybe because the vow was broken, maybe it was inappropriate, but whatever, it happened. And what Calvin is saying is there is a similar covenantal vow that exists between parents and children. And there are ways that that can be broken and so ruptured that our parents don't even deserve the name parents. Now, I wanted to read that because for a lot of people, they think conservative Christians are always going to tell children they need to obey their parents, even when, you know, abuse or, you know, really wretched stuff is going on. That is not the case. If any church authority ever tells you you need to submit to abuse from a parent, they have, they have violated God's word, and we'll have to answer to him for that. In other words, when parents abuse their children, sexually or otherwise, fail to protect them, very serious, because God has put them in a place to represent him and his gracious, tender, yet strong authority. Those in authority are not free to rule however they like. Biblical authority is not that. I I would say as well, you know, there may be some of you want to, you know, talk about that. I would love to talk to you about that if there are issues that that you want to talk about because I don't want you just living in that stuff and not being able to talk about it. My wife as well, Molly, Chase, talk to somebody about that if that's, if that's going on or you know about that stuff going on. Uh, let me add one more thing about um, worship and then a, a, a thing about ways to exasperate your children. Another way to worship your parents may be to have unrealistic expectations of them. And this may hit where a lot of you live. In other words, all parents are sinners and some of them are really trying, and gosh, I tell you what, I, you never, there's never been more like perplexity in my life. Well, I guess being married it brings a certain amount, but I would say we have more serious fights over how we deal with our children than almost anything. Don't you think that's fair? Yeah. I certainly provoke more angst in my wife over that than most anything, uh, and sometimes she does for me. Um, there's something, and part of it is because sometimes we're just not really sure what to do. And you always sort of have that specter, especially when you meet with college students who talk about their parental, you know, upbringing, and you're like, oh, my, my kids are going to be counseling for this, you know, for sure. Um, and that's okay. I think, actually, most anybody would benefit from counseling. Um, so I, it's not this, like, great fear. Um, but at some level, you're like, wow, you're like, you know, this is serious stuff. But there, there are probably, you know, some of you here that the issue you need to deal with tonight is, is you're so angry and hurt, and some of it may be unfair. Some of it may be expecting the kind of love and security that only God can give you. You're expecting it from your parents. Again, now you've heard all the stuff I said about the way parents sin against us, but you also need to understand that one of the ways we sin against them is by requiring them to be God. And, you know, one of the ways that God helps us see that they're not God is by allowing them to still be sinners. And that just frustrates us all the more and makes us more mad sometimes. Because we want everything to just work out 
with the minimum amount of inconvenience and pain. And yet God has seen fit to draw us deeper into his heart, often through difficult things. Well, let me, let me say this last thing. A wise parent stewards carefully the power they have over their children. I, I remember when somebody explained this to me, I found it very helpful. Now again, if, if this dynamic has already been sort of kind of mixed up in your life, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult question. How do you fix it? But let me just tell you this. When, parent, when kids are born, you may actually be surprised at this. When you have a newborn baby, they don't really care who cares for them. There is not a bond of love from the child to the parent at that point. It has to be built. And I know new moms don't know that that's true. It's true. It's true, Right? Um, and yet when you're born, your parents have absolute power over you physically. They can pick you up, carry you around, you know, spank you, do whatever, feed you or not feed you. You, There's nothing you can do. You're helpless. You have no physical power whatsoever. They have all of it. They also have all economic power over you, and they have all intellectual power over you. They know everything. You know nothing. You have to learn everything. But they don't have your respect. And the love bond is not built. A wise parent understands that eventually their physical power over you will diminish. Eventually you get too big to spank. Eventually you go to school and you learn that other people know things that may even disagree with your parents. And all of a sudden, your parents are not the sole source of information about the world. And their absolute intellectual power over you is broken. Eventually, you get a job. You begin to make your own money. And their absolute power over you financially is diminishing. What happens is, eventually, all those sort of three ways that they've tried to control you disappear. And if if the parent has not stewarded well those three powers, why they have them, to build the respect and the trust and the love, man, by the time you get to college, this is what you find. Parents still trying to control through those three ways when it's inappropriate and manipulative and destined to destroy the respect bond. If your parents are still treating you like a little child and using their financial power over you to do that, oh, it may work. They may get you to do what they want for a while, but your heart is going to grow far away from them. And one day, that's going to come home to roost, right? And you know, I, I don't know. I, I just wish more parents understood this. When the Bible says, train a child up It means that they're leaving one day, and that's God's design. And at some point, you have to change the way you relate to them. And sometimes it happens before you realize it. I'm sure I'll screw this up, right? Like Wendy and I talk about it. Like at what point, you know, is this changing? It's an ever-shifting dynamic, but you need to be aware of it, and your parents need to be aware of it. And I don't know if you're the one to tell it to them. They may not listen to you. 
But at some point, you know, for some of you, I know, like, there are times when you may have to say, you can't control me that way. Now, how do you know when you're an adult in our society? It actually is kind of a cultural thing, you know. In our society, I would say you're an adult when you pay for it yourself. And for some of you, that's already true. And yet, you know, your parents are not just giving you advice. They're demanding that you submit to them in everything long after it's appropriate. It's difficult. And that transition is difficult and especially difficult. Like the first, after your freshman year, you go home that first summer. It's really hard because you've been on your own making all your decisions and all of a sudden you're back in their house. It's hard. So you need to have grace and patience. And you know, one of my big principles that I'm going to keep harping on all through this series, talk through weirdness. And, and hopefully you can get your parents to understand that at some point you have to talk as adults to adults. And, and if, they don't, if you don't make that transition well at this point in your life, you're just going to move farther and farther away from them. And that, it's tragic when you can't have your parents in your 30s to be friends and advisors and confidants in an appropriate way. But often it's how you handle this transition in college that sows the seeds for what's going to happen down the road. Now, some of you may need to have a talk with your parents about that. Some of you may need to write a letter or call your parents and thank them for the things that they've done that have been really helpful. Some of you may need to talk to somebody about there's stuff going on between me and my parents that just is overwhelming. I don't know what to do. But, but you know... I know this is kind of a heavy thing, but I, I want to end it on a, on a better note. Hold on. Let me just say this. <laughs> we are not doomed to parent as our parents did. Praise God that the gospel comes in and breaks generational sin. I do think one of the things that can be really helpful for you is even to understand the way your parents were parented. Because often we just seem to naively think that stuff just came out of the blue. And there's often long histories to this kind of stuff. But you're not doomed to that. And here's what I tell couples when they come in to get married. You know, when you, when, when you first enter into marriage, a lot of times this stuff will rear its head. Because all of a sudden there's family traditions from your family and your spouse's family that are different. And you don't sometimes even know about your assumptions and your family traditions until they bump up against someone else's. Maybe for some of you having roommates did that. For me, it really was marriage that, where I kind of hit up against that. And what I always tell couples is, look, when you come into marriage, you need to come in with it saying, you know, it's not we throw, out the baby, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like this tradition in my family may be helpful wisdom. This tradition from your family may be helpful wisdom. But neither one of those are the law. God's word alone is the law. And how are we going to live in light of the wisdom of my family, in light of the wisdom of your family? Now, what are we going to do with our family? The Bible talks about leaving and cleaving. That means at some point, these two families no longer get to dictate how you live. But don't despise them. They might have a lot of wisdom. And you may not be able to even think of it as wisdom until you have another thing to compare it with. And you say, well, my family did it this way. Your family did it this way. What are we going to do? And you, you want to have that, that wisdom, but it's, you know, it's really interesting. Some people feel like they're not, you know, they're, they're still controlled by their parents, but they don't think they are because they're basically saying, I'm not going to do anything like my parents did. There are other people that are like, I'm just going to do exactly what my parents did. And you can tell like 
you know, this, this guy's looking for somebody just like his mom to marry, and this girl's looking for somebody just like her dad, and nobody compete because she doesn't really know all that her dad is, and he doesn't really know all that his mom is, so they're looking really for, like, part of what their mom is like, the only part that she's let them see, you know? So that's always a bad idea, but there's something about, there's something about, um, you know, entering into this, this relationship, you know, where you feel like, you know, I'm not controlled by them because I don't want to be like them. You may be just as controlled by them because you don't want to have anything to do with being like them. And, and that's just, you know, there are two different ways of serving and being enslaved to your parents rather than being set free. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And James says that the law is the perfect law of freedom. So let this law to honor your parents and to worship God. That's the heart of what I'm saying tonight. May it set you free. Let's pray together.